Hi listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. And this week, I'm going to tell you about Ray Rivera. Ray mysteriously disappeared one evening on May 16, 2006, from his Northwood home in Baltimore, with no traces of his whereabouts. Missing posters with his face began popping up in the neighborhood with a reward of $1,000 for any information on him. And Jose, I don't know if you know this, but do you know what premiered today? Oh, I do. What is it? Unsolved Mysteries. That's right, you guys. So Unsolved Mysteries finally premiered today on Netflix, which is what I know we've all been waiting for. But so this story, it's what kicked off the series. And it was such a good story. Let me just tell you, it has everything you need in true crime. And you'll see, but I hope that everybody has a little tinfoil hat. Tinfoil hat? Yes. It's full of conspiracies and theories and still an open case. Like they haven't been able to figure it out. So Hmm. I have it all for you today. Exciting. I'm ready. (laughs) So on May 2006, Ray Vera and his wife, Allison, have been living in Baltimore for two years. Allison was in sales and Ray was an aspiring filmmaker and former editor of a financial newsletter for Stanberry and Associates. So Ray's job was to produce content for the company's newsletter that was named The Rebound Report. And the newsletter basically advised potential investors of companies where stocks might soon rise, even though they were recently in the dumps. But all of this was all temporary for Ray and Allison. They had just put up their house up for sale in Baltimore, and they wanted to move to Los Angeles so that Ray can pursue his dream of becoming a screenwriter. And it was said that Ray had even written a screenplay named Midnight Polo. But in the meantime, working for Stanberry and Associates was the perfect job for him and his wife to live a very comfortable life. And on top of it, it was said that while working at Stanberry and Associates, Ray also got a chance to work with like his childhood friend. So that was like his best friend. Oh, that's pretty cool. Sounds like a good gig. Right. So in the morning of May 16, 2006, Allison got up early in the morning to drive up to Rich- Richmond, Virginia for business. And Ray was going to stay home with Allison's colleague named Claudia, who just happened to be staying there for a few days. So it wasn't like she lived with them. She was just crashing there for a few days. Mm, It was a very normal morning. Ray helped Allison carry her suitcase out to her car. Then Allison kissed her husband goodbye and she drove off to head to her business meetings. And Allison ended up arriving at the hotel in Virginia at around 6.30 p.m. And when she gets settled into her room, she calls her husband, Ray, and, you know, just to let him know, hey, I arrived safe, everything's good. Yeah. But Ray doesn't pick up the call. And it was a little odd that Ray didn't pick up the call since they were always in constant communication with, with each other, especially, you know, since she was away. But she just figured, oh, you know, he'll call me back. Mm-hmm. But now it's 9.30 p.m. and Allison still hasn't heard back from Ray. 
So she decides to give Claudia a call to see if maybe she knows, you know, why isn't he answering? Is he home? You know, just to get what the deal was. Right. But when Allison calls Claudia, Claudia tells Allison that she hasn't seen Ray in a few hours. And Claudia goes on to explain that she heard Ray's cell phone ring and she heard Ray pick up the phone. And a few seconds later, Claudia said that she heard Ray say, oh, shit. And he left in a hurry. But then after a few minutes, Claudia said that she heard Ray come back home like if he had forgotten something. And then he left again. But Claudia said that this time he left in Allison's black SUV. Hmm. Now, several hours have passed since he left and Claudia tells Allison that he still hasn't come back. But even though this was a little odd, Allison didn't think that this was necessarily weird because she knew that Ray was in a hard deadline at work with like a video that he was making and it, it happened to be due that same day. So Allison figured that maybe he finished the video and maybe afterwards he went out for a few drinks with friends or co-workers. Hmm. Okay. But Allison does think that it's weird that Ray isn't picking up her calls or calling her back because usually even if he does go out for a drink with friends or goes out to dinner, like he's always in constant communication. He would pick up and this yeah. time he's not. So it's just an odd situation. Right. So Allison and Ray had only been married for a few months. So again, they were very much in the honeymoon stage. And after Allison gets off the phone with Claudia, she decides to go to bed since she's in Richmond. And obviously there isn't much that she can do, you know, like her husband's not picking up. She doesn't know what's going on, but she's all the way in Richmond. Like, yeah. And she just arrived. Right. So the following day, Allison wakes up hoping that she would have had a missed call from Ray. But when Allison looks at her phone, she finds that Ray hasn't returned any of her phone calls. Still nothing. Hmm. So Allison calls Claudia that morning to see if Ray was home. And when Claudia picks up the phone that morning, she tells Allison that Ray never came home. So instantly, Allison knows that something is wrong. She cancels the rest of her business trip so that she can get back home to try and find out what is going on with her husband. And it's so sad because in that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, she says, I just knew. I just knew in my gut, you know, like it's always that gut feeling that you should always trust. You know, it's like there's something wrong. It's just I'm not overreacting. There's something telling me, you know, because the reality there wasn't really a whole lot of time that passed. But the situation is odd. Right. So on the drive back to Baltimore, Allison is calling Ray's friends and family in hopes that someone has talked to Ray recently. However, Allison finds out that no one has heard from Ray in the past two days. So when Allison gets home, she finds that all the lights are on upstairs. And in the kitchen, there's an open soda can, a bag of chips, and Ray's retainers are sitting on the table. So she can tell that Ray must have left in a hurry But he definitely planned to come back home. Since Allison even noticed that Ray had left his computer in his office on. You know, it's like all of a sudden you get a call. Oh, shit. I got to go. Like, yeah, maybe, you know, but it's like, yeah, something quick. I'll be right back. So it's like not even bother turning off the computer or, you know, put away the stuff or, you know. So by now, all of Allison's family and Ray's family start to gather in Baltimore to try and find Ray. And right away, they start calling hospitals to see if there's any John Doe's that might match Ray's description. And they start to drive all around Baltimore looking for Ray. 
but no one is able to find Ray or find any leads as to where Ray might have gone. And by Wednesday, everyone is concerned that they haven't heard from Ray. And they end up filing a missing persons report with the Baltimore Police Department. And police, obviously, they ask Allison and Ray's family all the usual questions when someone goes missing. Like, was Ray depressed? Was he having any trouble in his personal life? But they all said no. They Hmm. all describe Ray as happy, family-oriented, and they all say that Ray had big goals for his future. Ray's family tells Baltimore police how Ray was not depressed. He wasn't distraught or anything. In fact, the family makes sure to tell Baltimore police that this is not like Ray to just go MIA without saying a word, yet alone to not contact his wife or anyone of the family. Like, they're just saying that's not like him. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they would know. And not only that, but they, they all kind of took action pretty quick. Right. So... This sparks Allison's memory, though, of some odd occurrences that happened in the weeks leading up to Ray's disappearance. Hmm. So Allison tells Baltimore police how her and Ray had visited Los Angeles to plan their move there. But when they returned to Baltimore, Ray began behaving oddly. Allison said that Ray was edgy and nervous. That was very uncharacteristic behavior for her, usually self-assured husband. She's like, this was just not like him. Allison said that Ray started going everywhere with her. Allison said how Ray wouldn't let her do anything alone. Really? Yeah. And she even recalled how Ray even like wouldn't let her go. Like she wanted to go running on a running track. And he insisted to go with her. And Allison said that as she jogged, Ray sat in the bleachers reading a book. When all of a sudden, a man appeared. And Allison recalled Ray freaking out. Even though the mysterious man left with no incident, Allison said Ray seemed unnerved. It was not like him. Allison also said how a few days after that incident at the track, Something happened in the couple's home. Allison stated that a few days later, the alarm in the couple's Northwood home went off, sending her husband to spring out of bed. When she joined Ray in the basement, she recalled seeing something in her husband's eyes she had never seen before. And that was fear. Hmm. Allison said that Ray had a look in his eyes that she had never seen before. And she said, and I quote, Ray was scared. He's a big Latin guy and he's macho. It was not like him to get this scared. End quote. The next evening, the alarm went off again. And again, Ray flipped out. Again, Allison said how she wasn't used to seeing Ray in that manner. So after all, she was like trying to make sense of it because she's like, Ray was six foot. Five, 260 pounds he was an athlete and nothing really faced him and now he's all a of a sudden guy. he's so yeah now it's like all of a sudden he's so jumpy and worried about everything it was just she gets on saying that was not like him yeah it seems like he's scared of that somebody's targeting him right so Allison even said how she noticed that one of the downstairs window looked like it had been messed with But police said that 
It was nothing that, it was probably just a squirrel that triggered the alarm. Oh. Yeah, you mm. know. So police did try to pull fingerprints from the window, but they didn't come up with anything. So they were like, don't worry about it. It was probably a scroll or something that set off the alarm. There's no fingerprints on the window. Everything's fine. Two days in a row? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Allison starts to feel like she doesn't have much support from the Baltimore police, but she did feel she had sufficient support from her family and Ray's family. And she also was grateful for the support of Ray's good childhood friend, Porter Stanberry. So this is the friend that he worked with. Mm-hmm. So Porter ends up putting up a $1,000 reward for anyone that gives Baltimore police any information that will lead to bringing Ray home. And Porter and Ray had known each other since they were kids. And Porter had founded Stansbury and Associates where Ray worked. So Allison was grateful that Porter was there to help. And she trusted that Porter would do anything to help him bring Ray home. As right. much as her and everyone else wanted to bring him home. But, unfortunately, there wasn't much for police to go off of. After all, it seemed like Ray had just gotten up from the table in the middle of eating a snack and vanished into thin air. And they haven't, at this point, they haven't found the car or anything? Nothing. Hmm. Nothing. They just, he's missing. The only thing that police seem to know about Ray is that they had this good guy that had a good marriage, a good job, had big plans for the future, who suddenly vanished. That's it. They can't find the car. They can't, they can't find any traces of him. So they can't figure out, you know, what happened to him. So police tried to look at his bank activity and his credit card activity to see if maybe that would provide some sort of leads as to, you know, is he purchasing anything? Where is he making these purchases? But there's zero activity in his bank account or his credit cards. So because of this, police are thinking Ray can't be far. I mean, he's not, he hasn't taken out any money, hasn't used his cards. So they start trying to see if he's using his cell phone. Mm-hmm. But he's not using his cell phone either. Really? Yeah. Well, that's really not good. So, because it doesn't seem like Ray is using money or his phone, Baltimore police start to think that Ray must be somewhere in Baltimore. Like, they just know it. Where could he have gone? He's not using his phone. He's not using any money. He has to be somewhere here. So they start to comb through every street, every neighborhood, looking for any sign of Ray. And six days after Ray went missing, police finally catch a break. Allison's parents are in town helping Allison find Ray. And they're driving around the Mount Vernon area of downtown Baltimore. And that's when all of a sudden they spot Allison's black SUV parked in a parking lot near the Belvedere Hotel. Finally. Mm -hmm. Something. Right? So right away, Allison's parents pull up to the car to see if there's any sign of Ray. Is he in the car? Is he around the car? But they find no signs of Ray. They do notice that there is a parking ticket that's dated May 17th. So a day after, right? Right. So police talked to the parking attendant that was working there on the evening of the 16th. And he stated that the car wasn't there when he left for work at 6 p.m. On the evening of May 16th. Oh, well, that lines up. Right. The 630 call that 
he all of a sudden walked out right. and vanished in a rush, right? Mm-hmm. But he does recall how the car was there when he got to work the next morning on the 17th. Hmm. Okay. So something that's interesting to know is that all of Frey's family and friends had driven through this neighborhood several times. Remember, I told you, everybody yeah, gathered and they through. were combing through yeah. everything. And they, what, missed the car being there? Yeah, that's odd. You know, it's a little odd. Because everybody's so alert trying to right. find it. So... Hmm. The area of Mount Vernon is near the area where Ray used to work at, which is a little odd since Ray still worked for the company, but he was a work-from-home employee and he never had any reason to go into the office. And again, it was known that he was on a tight deadline that day, so it didn't make sense that he would go into the office that day. Then on May 24th, Allison receives the call that she never thought she would receive. Baltimore police call Allison to inform her of the discovery of the body of Frey. Police tell Allison that they found Ray's body in the Belvedere Hotel. Police tell Allison that on May 24th, three of Ray's co-workers decided to spend their lunch hour looking for him. When one of the co-workers gets the idea to go on top of a parking structure and that parking structure was near the Belvedere Hotel because he figured... You know, let's climb on top and we can have like a bird's eye view of the rooftops and of the buildings and just the city in general. Right. Well, when they start to look around, they see something that catches their eyes. They start to see that on one of the lower rooftops of the Belvedere building, they see a man's flip flop. Then they notice a second flip flop. Then a phone. Then... They see what might be a wallet, then some keys, and then they notice a hole in the roof. A hole in the roof? A hole. Hmm. Concerned about Ray, the three co-workers call the Baltimore police and right away the police head to the Belvedere Hotel. And when they arrive, the building manager takes them to the conference room that's directly underneath the roof, the one with the hole in it. Hmm. And... It's the smell that hits them first. Oh, no. And it is there in this old conference room that they discover the body of Ray Rivera face up. Police are not sure how long the body had been there since the decomposition of Ray's body was pretty advanced due to the summer heat and the humidity. And as police make the discovery of Ray's body right away, they start to think, that Ray might have committed suicide. Hmm. But Ray's family do not believe this at all, which, you know, that's also pretty common. You know, like family members usually don't, it's hard for them to believe that their loved one would commit suicide as it is. But in this case, they said Ray showed no signs of distress. Ray had even booked an editing suite for his freelancing work that he had booked for like the following weekend. So they were like, if he was going to commit suicide, why would he make these plans? Right. It just didn't make sense to them. And Allison said that Ray was a big family guy and all he wanted was to have a baby and have a family. And 
he wanted to live out his dreams of becoming a screenwriter in Los Angeles. So all of this is like, you know, those are making plans for the future. Yeah, I mean, he had everything lined up and he was already... Like right, pretty, and th- getting pretty close to making that uh, right. move. Right, so, so yeah, that's it why it sense. didn't make sense to Allison or the rest of the family. So, the police start to look around in the room where Ray's body was discovered, and there was no signs of a struggle or any signs of foul play in the room, other than the obvious sign of you know the giant hole that was on the roof above from where his body was found. Hmm, right. So obviously they're thinking that big hole that's where Ray's body must have come through. And according to an article from the Baltimore Sun, they believe from the early days that Ray must have jumped from the highest roof point of the Belvedere Hotel, which is 118 feet above the ground. And based on his trajectory, that plunged through the ceiling and into the conference room. And the medical examiner's report seems to support that theory. Unfortunately, the medical examiner was not able to confirm the exact time of death because of how badly his body was decomposed. But they do estimate that Ray had probably been dead for at least a week. And Ray's toxicology report came back clean as well. So the medical examiner report also noted that the injuries that were sustained, which consisted of, are you ready? His body was badly beat up. Okay. Yeah. So just give me the heads up. So the injuries consisted of 24 broken ribs. 24. Two punctured lungs. Damage to the heart and liver. Multiple skull fractures, torn neck muscles, broken pelvis, a ruptured testicle, and cuts and bruises to his arms, legs, and torso. And his legs were also broken and cut to the point where his tendons and muscles were visible. Oh, man. Yeah, his body was just, it was torn up i'm assuming that lines up with a fall that's that high i mean that seems really high right so the medical examiner does say that the wounds are consistent with the fall that ray took from up 120 feet up in the air right but here's the thing for how broken ray's body was not everything at the scene was broken what do you mean so near the hole on the rooftop of the Baltimore police also found Ray's cell phone, his glasses, and both of those items were perfectly fine. What? Yes. The only thing that they found is that one of the flip-flops, like the toe section of the flip-flops, like it, it looked like it had been bent. Mm-hmm. And then the other flip-flop, that one was just... You know, the strap just broke. It was like those beach flip-flops, you know? Yeah. The phone, perfectly fine. Still, like, they were able to turn it on. Glasses. Oh, that seems Not impossible. a scratch on it. It sounds like somebody put it there after the right. fact. Right. Right. So, according to the Makita Broadman book, she states that the distance from the 14th floor rooftop that Ray supposedly jumped from to the hole... On the lower roof below was 43 feet. So in order for Ray to make that kind of jump, he would have had gone in a running start and he would have had to reach a speed of 11 miles per hour. That seems really fast. And in flip-flops? 
Right. Very unlikely. But that's a big distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, by the way, I think I need to mention that during this whole supposedly jumping incident, no one reported seeing Ray in or around the Belvedere Hotel. So, I mean, you have really this, nothing? No yeah, you have this big man and he supposedly jumps off the roof, but n- nobody sees it. And you think nobody somebody would hear, it? yeah, hear that crash. Right. I mean, there's a hole. His, you know, the, it, how? Nobody heard anything. Nobody saw anything. Something else that's strange is that the building does have security cameras and there are security cameras on the roof. But conveniently... Those cameras were disconnected that night. So there Just is, that night? Y- yes. So there uh. is no video evidence of Ray being in or on the rooftop of the Belvedere Hotel. This makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, something else that I should also mention is how Ray's family stated how Ray was terrified of heights. Allison even stated how Ray didn't even like getting like on a ladder to like put up Christmas decorations. <laughs> Yet, like he's gonna climb out this rooftop and jump. Yeah, how I don't see that happening? There's yeah, no I'm terrified of of heights, and yeah, I won't get on a little step stool. Yet alone, I'm not gonna go climb up the highest building and jump off of it. You know, like it's just how I, when I saw he's pictures terrified. of the Belvedere Hotel, and there's no rail, nothing. Right, yeah. It looks like a terrifying place to be. Mm-hmm. Especially for that somebody lunch. that's so scared of heights. Yeah. But I still can't get past the distance. The distance doesn't make sense to me. It's mm-hmm. a huge distance between that ledge or the top portion of the Belvedere Hotel and where he would have landed. It's yeah. 43 feet. Right. Well, just like I said, just how we're having a hard time believing this. Allison and Ray's family also didn't believe what Baltimore police were telling them. And when the medical examiners finally ruled Ray's manner of death as undetermined, that's when Allison became more concerned and more certain that something more sinister had to have happened to her husband. And he didn't just commit suicide. But because of the medical examiner's ruling police aren't able to officially close the case, which is good for them because they want them to continue investigating. Right. But police make it clear to everyone that Ray committed suicide. But again, Allison doesn't believe that Ray would commit suicide. And she continues to look for clues as to what happened to Ray. And while Allison is looking through Ray's things, for any clues as to what could happen to Ray, that's when she finds a tiny piece of paper taped to the back of his computer in his office. And when Allison opens the note, the note reads, and I quote, Brothers and sisters, right now around the world, volcanoes are erupting. What an awesome sight, end quote. Then, he ends the letter by saying, Whom virtue unites, death will not separate. What is that? Uh, right? Like, it, it seemed like the whole note was cryptic and it didn't make sense to her. So, Allison did say in that episode of Unsolved Mysteries that she took that, that last sentence of Whom virtue unites, death will not separate. Mm-hmm. And she Googled it. 
What I don't did she know. Find? She found that that quote was from the Freemasons. Really? So apparently Ray was all about this, you know, secret society. And he she knew that he wasn't a member of the Freemasons. But according to Allison, Ray was, like I said, very interested in secret societies. And supposedly, Ray had bought a book named Freemasons for Dummies. <laughs> and he even went as far as met with a local Mason to talk about joining. Really? Not knowing what all of this means, Allison gives the note to Baltimore police. And because, again, it was so cryptic, none of it makes sense. Thinking that maybe, you know, it was written some sort of code or something. But Baltimore police are not able to decrypt it either. Either They don't know what this is. So they end up turning the note to the FBI. But the FBI ends up stating that the note was written from a bunch of conscious writing and that it was not written in code. So they're like, this is just like mumbo jumbo, like his thoughts, which he was known to always stop and write out his ideas or anything that came to his mind. And Allison did say that a lot of times he would find like sticky notes or um, just like post-its that he would write of just ideas. And yeah, to somebody from the outside, you read that and you're like, that doesn't make sense. But to him, it did. Yeah, I mean, that sounds normal, like a post-it note, but why would he tape that up, put in a little tiny piece of paper and post it behind his computer? Right. That seems really odd. Yeah. So now with the FBI telling them, like, hey, it's not written in code, like, this is just a bunch of conscious writing, Allison becomes more and more interested in talking to the person that called him which caused him to leave in a hurry. And that's when police are able to get Ray's phone records. And they're able to track where the call came from. Are you ready for this? Yeah, where's it coming from? It comes from Stansbury and Associates. You're kidding. But because of how their phone systems were set up at that time, the call came through an extension, which then was routed through a switchboard, making it impossible to track who exactly made that call? I'm kidding. So, because Ray was under the umbrella of this big finance company of Agora, which included Stansbury Associates and Oxford Club, which was the freelance company that Ray was working for when he died. So, police want to obviously talk to Ray's very good friend, yeah, Porter. Porter. Right. Since police found that Porter's name was also called out in that weird letter several times. Really? Mm-hmm. But as helpful as Porter had been, when police tried to talk to Porter and employees from Sanberries and Associates, they are surprised when Porter will not help police look into the investigation of Ray's death. And Porter goes as far as getting a gag order for the whole company. So no one is able to talk to the police or to anybody about Ray's death. Why? That's so odd. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden now nothing, nothing can be said when before he had offered a thousand dollar reward for any information. Right. So this makes Allison question Porter's intentions and she is determined more than anything to find answers as to what happened to her husband Ray. And Allison goes back to the medical examiner because she believes that there has to be something there, something that they saw that the medical examiner saw that 
that made them not rule race death as a suicide, right? right. Because Baltimore police are saying it's a suicide, and the Emmy is saying, uh uh-uh. uh, it's under, like, we can't determine how or what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So when she starts to talk to the ME, they tell her that the way that Ray's chins were broken were not consistent with the fall. And while Allison is at the ME's office, the ME tells her, and I quote, I know what they're trying to do, and we're not closing the case. What does that mean? (laughs) Exactly. So who knows? Like I said, the Freemasons. All right. So let me tell you something about the Freemasons. One of the biggest things of the Freemasons is that they tell secrets and you're supposed to withhold that secret. And they tell secrets. Yeah. So if you're like what kind of secret, like a pardon, I have no idea. I'm not a Freemason. And if I was, I couldn't tell you. So I love secrets. During initiation, I love right? getting drunk and telling secrets. <laughs> but no. Well, at that Fun point, fact. they're not secrets anymore. <laughs> Fun, fact. Fun fact. You're exposing other people's secrets at that point. So then I wouldn't be a good mason. No, not. Darn anymore. it. Nope. So they, a part of initiation, they go through this, these different types of rituals, which apparently nobody knows. Rituals? Yeah, rituals. Like. Like rituals? Like, like, like people, summon a demon? Together? I hope not. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hope not, but. They do different rituals that to memorize stuff, and um, one of the things is that they tell each other kind of like a secret, it's like a code or something. What do you mean? But they tell it like like a secret about what? Like, oh, tell me your deepest, darkest secret, Jose, and then you tell them, and then it's like there is another secret society called the Skull and Bones, which is a Yale University, and that's what they do. You seem to know a lot about this. It's fascinating. Secret societies are fascinating. You're starting to scare me. Huh? Exit left. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, one of the things is keep a secret. So maybe what was in that note is a secret that he was supposed to withhold. Maybe he was actually trying to join the the Freemasons. Oh, that piece of paper you're saying. Yeah. Oh, now I, I mean, follow I you. Myself, I was wondering why I you were going on this like, rant. Like I really don't want to forget this. If I ever get asked, where should I put it? Hmm, maybe I should I type don't it. Forget put it in a tiny little piece of paper and hide it somewhere. That but I, I know feel where like it's at. wouldn't that be like against? I don't know. Well, that's why it's hidden. Oh, I see. <laughs> Anyways, obviously with Freemasons, there's a lot of speculation around what their intentions are. I think a lot of it is around political power. Mm-hmm. But what they say to the people is that it's really just um, people trying to be better people. Oh. Yeah. Like just um, one of the things is a part of the initiation is they take this stone, mm-hmm. this just raw stone, mm-hmm. and then next to it, they show a polished square stone and mm-hmm. that's kind of what they're showing is that your character this is how you start and this is what you'll become oh. but all that that's kind of like out there mm-hmm. seems like okay it's just some type of like fraternity make club or something yeah to okay. make but reality is a lot of speculation is around they're political dirty. power oh political no yeah, yeah political dirty. power <laughs> <laughs> dirty rocks so, yeah and, and <laughs> helping influence um you know very powerful people mm-hmm. so and the other part is it may say that anybody can join by donating or whatever signing up it's not true you need to be you know um asked to join so oh yeah that's the whole wait thing. a minute wait a minute did you take out your tinfoil hat i feel like this is what you're doing i think you need to have your tinfoil hat no on so saying. wait are you trying to say that the freemasons killed ray i i know nothing about that <gasps> 
<laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is you never know. I mean, obviously that can go into some crazy rabbit hole. Is it right. Stanford Associates? Hence could it be your Porter? Hat. Is Porter a part of the Freemasons? And mm-hmm. now that that secret is going to be exposed. You're really going into rabbit holes to, now. Okay. I'm telling you, that's all that's been going through my whole no, head since you said that. Okay. So I have to say it is weird in this episode and you guys, you have to watch Unsolved Mysteries, the, you know, the reboot. And in the episode, you you do. You see the building and the roof that Ray went through. And I do have to say, it, even to me, I mean, I didn't know anything about, you know, Jose's tinfoil hat and the Freemasons and secret societies. Like, I really don't know anything about that. But based on seeing just those pictures, I'm like, how? Like, I think they even interviewed... I think it was somebody that worked at the Belvedere Hotel. And even he was like, that roof was, it's like, it's metal. And his whole body just went through it. Do you want me to tell you what I think happened? Should I take my tinfoil hat out? No, I think this is, I mean, I don't know. It can come back to. Here you guys, get ready. All right, so let's scratch the whole secret Freemason thing. But he is, a part of his job is providing financial information on things that could potentially happen right right yeah because it was the newsletter he wrote it was kind of like hey these are these stocks are going to rebound yeah they're like they're doing bad right right now but they're going to rebound so might as well buy them now while they're cheap yeah yeah then make money martha stewart yeah martha stewart Ah. inside her information is that a secret too are you a part of the freemasons i think you have to be male to be a part of the Freemasons. I'll tell you, let me tell you something weird about the Freemasons. And I don't know why I know this. A part of the initiation, uh-huh. like when you go through the ceremony, uh-huh. one of the first things you need to do is show your man breast. What? Your boobie. To ensure, yes, your boobie. To ensure that you're a male and not a female. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Anyways. This the Freemasons been around oh for like three hundred years. <laughs> Why do you know this? Mm, I don't oh know. Oh my god. Anyway, um, back to what I think could potentially be, and maybe he just knew something that was a risk for the bigger financial organization. You know, I mean, for him to now all of a sudden get threats, what seemed like potentially threats. Wait, right? so what are you trying to say, though? What are you trying Maybe to say? Maybe he that, knew something that, somebody that he should have known. Yeah. So what do you him. think? You think that somebody pushed him I think off somebody, the roof? I think they had him in a helicopter and threw him off, and he oh, landed there. That's what I, I seriously, that's what I think. There you go, That is guys. the only, look at the pictures and no, tell me true. that that's it's not true logical. Because, you know what, now that you mentioned that, it's so true. It's like, I. that's what I feel. Like, yes, that building was really high, but it also, for him to get... To 11 miles an hour of speed in like a short distance because the roof, like there wasn't, you know, it was, and, and he's wearing flip flops. makes sense. And he's what about flip-flops. the phone? What about all the other stuff? Right. And only that, there's then, so wait, many issues wait, around wait, wait, getting wait. access to the roof. There's just, yeah, that's it's true. just incredibly unlikely for that right. to happen. First, getting up there. And then if you look at it from that particular 43 foot distance. Mm-hmm. It is a huge distance for somebody to get from there all the way all the way to the other side where that hole is. Mm-hmm. It does not make sense. And there's, yeah, there's another, like, if you look at the building. I looked, I scanned it very carefully. There's a ledge. Mm-hmm. But then again, from what I read is that you can't oh, get yeah, into there they because they're that. private rooms with right. small windows. Yeah, because it, it's called the Belvedere Hotel, but it's no longer a hotel. It's like condos and office space. So 
I did, did say that in Unsolved Mysteries that, you know, for him to even access the, the ledge that you're talking about, he would have had to either go through somebody's residence or offices, yeah, which and, is like, uh, how, you know? And why there? You know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense right. to me. What make, And then, of course, the glasses, the phone, a phone to one. Why wouldn't it be in his pocket? Well, if he's why being thrown out destroyed? the helicopter, wouldn't it fall out your pocket? So you want more details of what I think? What? I have my tinfoil hat. Okay, right. So threw him off of the helicopter, went through the hole. They go to the Belvedere. And obviously these people are probably connected. Mm -hmm. Oh, hence footage. Oh. Go drop this stuff because somebody failed to... Yeah, somebody had to get rid of it. We're going to put it. Just put it over there. Put it where it was. Put it on the rooftop. Somebody did that. And that's it. Hands are washed. Baltimore police, are you listening to this? Look into the helicopters. Can't you pull, man? I'm going to be able to pull, like, flights. I'm assuming, yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. I know more about the Freemasons than that. You're scaring me. (laughs) But, so, anyways, like I said, Ray's case is still open in a sense. Like, Allison refuses to believe that he committed suicide. And especially what the ME told her, you know, it just, it doesn't make any sense. The plans that they had, they were only married for six months. And it broke my heart, like, seeing her talk about him. Like, you can see how in love she was with him. And, you know, she, she, obviously, she wants that closure. And she even said in, again, that episode of Unsolved Mysteries that, she still calls the cops to get like updates on on Ray's case, mm-hmm. and she said that they told her, "Lady, you need to get it through your head. Your husband committed suicide." No, you don't. And <laughs> her badass response: she said that right back. She gave it right back to them. It was like, "I will get that through my head when you show me evidence that he committed suicide." And it's true, like. How? There's How? no evidence that points to that. No, it's, something it seems happened. Incredibly unlikely. And I mean, I now that you told me the helicopter, I think it's a little far fetched, but it does make sense for you know. It's just I don't know because you know I don't even far-fetched? think I don't even think that somebody could could have dragged him to the rooftop and pushed him like that. That would have had to no. have been like a very it's, hard even push. getting thrown. I mean, I don't you know. can't throw a person that's two hundred sixty pounds, six foot five, with that much. Force that to move w- to cause him to like forty-three go feet, yeah, and have horizontally him go through to have that like trajectory, the, yeah, to land where he landed. It does not make any sense, right? You look at that roofing, tell me that makes sense. It simply does not, right? So helicopter, it is. Mm. That is, I don't know how that's far fetched. Seems obvious to me. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at podcasttruecrimeweekly. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcast. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening. <laughs>